Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Hey, Church Planner, it's Pete Mitchell. Peyton and I promised you that here in January, we're going to be bringing you a daily podcast. This first interview that we're going to be sharing with you today, it's actually a three-part interview, is with Jill Martin Ritchie. Jill Martin Ritchie is the eldest daughter to the late Dr. Walter Martin. Uh, it's a name you're probably very familiar with. Uh, Dr. Martin, of course, wrote the book The Kingdom of the Cults. Um, he also has written another book, which we're going to talk about more in the third interview with Jill, which uh, he actually wrote uh, there. He, he wrote it without it being published until after he had already passed. Uh, Jill is credited as the co-author on that book, and it's The Kingdom of the Occult. These three interviews, these three days, uh, today, tomorrow, and Friday, are going to be the most profound interviews I think that you've heard in a long time and you don't want to miss them because the information is so vital and valuable. So here we go. Let's go ahead and start off podcast number 31 with Jill Martin Ritchie. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here with another edition of the old Church Planner podcast. And once again, we have got an incredible guest, one that I am really excited for us to be able to uh, to talk with and get some uh, great information, some great ideas, some great content from. And Peyton, why don't you introduce our guest today? Okay, I'm going to do that, but I, I got a question. How come it has to be ye old church? I thought we were like, new, you know, like we're exciting. It's, and it's kind of ye old, too. like ye O-L-E. It's not really ye old. It's no, it's, old. no, no, it's O-L-D-E, ye old, like old English. There you go. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, We, you know, we're kind of new. But, you know, what's cool today is we're actually talking about a mix, kind of a clash of the old and the new, 
We're going to be talking today about one of my personal heroes in ministry. Um, I would say that uh, there are probably five people, if I took my left hand, stuck it out, and extended five fingers, there are probably five people I would put on there and say, in my lifetime, I have heard people uh, preach or, uh, you know, uh, speak or have, have been impacted by their ministries. And I would say these are people are definitely anointed of the Holy Spirit. And there are people when you hear them preach or speak or you witness their ministry, um, you, you just sense God is on that dude. I don't know how else to explain it, but like God is around that person. The Lord has kind of owned that person's ministry. So, and, and the guy we're talking to, or excuse me, the guy we're talking to, that, now that would be a trick for the podcast, wouldn't it be? But the guy that, that we're talking that be about today is one of my heroes. In fact, almost all of these guys have gone to glory. They've gone to be with the Lord. And I would, I would put in that, um, I would say Chuck Smith, um, Keith Green, and uh, we're talking today with uh, Jill uh, Martin. And Jill, am I saying your last name right? Is it, is it Rich? 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 No, you can say Richie. Richie. All right. Yep. So you were, you were totally off on that. I, I was, I was sorry. Sorry, Bill. I should have, I, I should have clarified that with you earlier, but we're talking with Walter Martin's daughter, Dr. Martin, um, founder of uh, Christian research Institute, CRI. Some of you may have known it. He also started the Bible answer man. And I remember tuning into that show uh, back in the late eighties. And there was actually a demoniac on the air with him. That was crazy. Um, and, and there was, he was talking to him. And their uh, Reverend Walter Martin uh, held four earned degrees. He authored 12 books. Uh, his 47-year bestseller, The Kingdom of the Colts, being the best known. Uh, many of his books have been translated into uh, multiple languages and have been read by millions around the world. Um, again, he was known as the original Bible Answer Man. Um, that's where all that started. Call in, have a question about the Bible. And I would say about Dr. Martin, he was kind of like the Apostle Paul, where, you know, your great learning has driven you mad was, was the accusation that came to Paul. I mean, Dr. Martin had an encyclopedic knowledge of the scripture, um, anything related to apologetics, um, the cults, uh, countercults, the occult, and, uh, he started the uh, Christian Research Journal. Some of the best countercult research was done there. And Christianity Today uh, called him the most productive evangelical scholar writing in the field of the sex today. And Time Magazine characterized him as a research polemicist who brought peace and not a sword. And he really was a, the pioneer of the Christian countercult uh, movement. And there is a ministry. It's headed by uh, Joe Martin Ritchie. It is Walter Martin Ministries, and you can find that at waltermartin.com. And you can still download his messages, um, get resources, which largely, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, has largely disappeared from the current incarnation of the Christian Research Institute. So, you know, I, I warned Jill today that I was going to be a little bit of a fanboy because uh, I'm such an admirer. But uh, I want to introduce Jill now, and Jill is the oldest doctor of Dr. Martin, and she is the co-author of Kingdom of the Occult. I didn't know that, Jill. That's, that's pretty rock and roll. And uh, she also wrote, <laughs> you're like, yeah, you know, what not? I try. And, uh, and also, uh, Through the Windows of Heaven, 
And you have been the managing editor for his 45-year bestseller, 47 now, Kingdom of the Cults. And you are yourself are a noted researcher, speaker, and you've appeared on radio programs across the United States and Canada. And uh, Jill, it is awesome to have you on this show. Oh, thanks for having me, Peyton. Pete. So, uh, yeah, we just want to kind of get right down to it. It's an honor and a privilege. And, of course, we're talking to church planners and one of the things that, that I'm passionate about, you know, is kind of sharing guys that impacted me and uh, people who I, I just think whatever that guy's got, I want some of that. And, uh, and so, you know, your dad's one of those dudes. And uh, Pete and I talk, we quote people. I know that recently uh, in, in the last issue of Church Planner Magazine, we actually talked uh, about your dad, and I, I quoted him. One of, one of my favorite sayings that, that he used to say was from talking to an old boxer, and he said, an, an occupational hazard of being a boxer is you're going to get hit. And your dad certainly took right. uh, his hits and his ministry from people. I know when he went to Salt Lake City, he was surrounded by, uh, you know, pretty much he had, to, he had to have bulletproof glass out of a, 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 a bulletproof vest on. Um, it, you know, there were death threats whenever he spoke um, from cultists. Um, he basically pulled back the... The, the lid a bit and showed America what was going on in, in, in the cults in America. In fact, many people don't realize, but when Jonestown happened, um, it was your dad whose face was all over the, the news stations. Everyone called him up. That's when I think your dad really kind of reached, uh, you know, kind of like the official spokesman for, for cults and, uh, and the uncle. Yeah, it was really an amazing time. I think um, I love that uh, that example that you gave because he got that from a friend of his, which was Rocky Marciano, the world heavyweight champion, and he used to go out to his home in Long Island and have spaghetti dinners with him, and that's where he got that. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine that? And that's where he got that wonderful illustration from. They actually did a little um, kind of fake boxing, I guess, and uh, – and the the uh, example that my dad took away from that was get in close with the word of god whatever it takes it's god's shot and god's gospel and i think that is you know that really um and you can see that throughout his whole ministry along with this great love for people that i think is only from god he had a passion for people uh, when Jehovah's Witnesses or ex-Jehovah's Witnesses or ex-Mormons or anyone who had come out of those uh, cults came up to him after a meeting, they would come up and throw their arms around around my dad and say, thank you, thank you, I hated you, I hated you, but now I love you because you you made me mad enough that I had to go out and try and prove you wrong. You told me the truth, and I came to Christ because of it. And my father, that literally, he would be elated. That would carry him, like, for weeks. He would be so thrilled just that someone came to know the Lord. And that was this great love he had for people, and I think it came through in so many of the things he did. Yeah, you know, I remember um, listening, and if you've never heard of his series Witnessing the Mormons or Witnessing the Jehovah's Witnesses, that, that it was an audio series of, of talks that he gave. It is still unparalleled. And I pick up stuff. I keep abreast of, of what comes out on the, on the cults. Um, there's fairly little nowadays, but this is why it's important to revive interest in this ministry. But I remember back when he did it, he was such a pioneer that there was no, nobody else's work to take from. 
to really study. And I remember uh, him saying that he actually went to Brooklyn to uh, the Watchtower headquarters, walk in through the front door. Like he could, he could never do that in later years, but, but back in the early days when, when nobody really knew who he was yet, um, he went in there, he was, he was talking with people, and um, they did kick him out. Um, and I remember he, I, I can't remember what it was he, he started saying. He said, I used the time that they grabbed me by the arms and started escorting me out to preach. And he said, <laughs> years later, someone came up to him and said, Dr. Martin, I was in that lobby that morning. I can't remember if it was one of the guards or one of the receptionists and said, and what you said that morning stuck with me and it wouldn't go away. Hmm. Yeah. He challenged people to think. That's what he wanted them to do, not just take his word for anything. He wanted them to think. And, you know, a lot of times today uh, in apologetics we run into, well, the don't offend, don't use the word cult, don't make anybody mad, um, respect (laughs) someone else's choice of religion. And it wasn't that he didn't respect their choice, because I think we all have to do that. It was the fact that he wanted them to re-examine it, to think about it, to go out and dig and research, and preferably the first thing, open up the Bible and look at the Bible in a different way. And that's why he always challenged people when they were talking with others from you know, Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or really any other uh, religion. He basically said to them, Look, you know, open your Bible up and have them read you the Bible verse, because what is the Word of God, right? Alive, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will cut deep inside, and it will make a difference. And so he wanted to challenge them to go re-examine the Word of God, re-examine what they were being taught by their leaders, and question and that really is what made people angry, is they didn't want to do that. They said, don't you tell me that what I believe isn't right. And my father said, I'm telling you, it's not right. And that made them mad. <laughs> mad enough yeah. to go do, go do just that. So my, really, you know, this whole cultural thing we have today, I just think um, people don't realize how rooted in Hinduism it is. The non-confrontational, yeah. don't offend What's okay with you? If it's okay with you, it's okay with me. All of that is rooted deeply in Hinduism that's made its way into our culture. And that's not something that people really even, a lot of people even recognize. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, talks that he ever gave was when he said that the church is suffering from non rockabotus And, of course, (laughs) he he was going on the TVN. I don't know if you want to tell that story, Jill, but... uh, that is definitely my favorite story. And it, it emphasizes, you know, how much of a prophet your dad was. Like, I always pictured guys like him um, and Keith Green and some of these other guys that I mentioned. They, they were like prophets. They didn't give a rip what other people thought. And because of that, there was a power. When I talk about an anointing, it was because they weren't man pleasers. They were like, look, I know I'm called to do this. I don't care if I tick you off. Um, I'm called to this. Uh, it was kind of like Rick Warren the other day on, uh, on, on uh, Pierce Morgan. Pierce said, but, you know, look, you're a decent dude, you're this, you're that. And Rick, and it was so refreshing to hear a, a mainline preacher say this, Rick looked at him and said, I'm not worried about your approval or society's approval. I'm more concerned about God's approval. And I thought, man, that's, that's what prophets say, and that's what gets them killed, and that's awesome. 
And your dad, that, that was his first language, right? He spoke Martinese. That was like uh, <laughs> non-Rockabotus entering, enter, you know, making up terms. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, I, you know, I think with my father, his first love was Jesus Christ. And so he wanted to emulate him, and he behaved in a way that he felt Jesus behaved in the Gospels. When you look at the words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and to the Jews, they were not words of, hey, let's be friends. That was not, that was not how Jesus approached it. He cut to the chase. He went right to the heart of things, and it was very offensive to people. And that's what happened on TBN and other networks. Um, they would confront him and say, don't talk about this, don't talk about that, when he was in the green room. And he would say, um, I'm not going to be told what I can talk about and what I can't talk about. And they still let him on the stage. And when he got there, he basically talked about everything they said not to talk about <laughs> because <laughs> it's, a freedom, you know, it's a freedom of speech issue. And it's also telling the truth. You have to tell the truth in love. He would always say you have to risk making someone hate you in order to tell them how much God loves them and how much that love will transform their lives. You have to take that risk. You have to love someone enough to risk their hatred. And that is not something that the church in general wants to hear today. It's all, let's be friends. Let's try to find, you know, let's make um, nice words uh, instead of the word cult. Let's, you know, let's Let's use generalities or say, you know, world religions or, you know, religions with their, their roots in America and, you know, anything other than yeah. what they are, which is a cult of Christianity, taking Christianity and twisting it to try and make it more palatable for the world when the Bible says it's never going to be that way. We will always have conflict. We will always be hated because he was hated. Right. Yeah. Right. Hey, Jill, let let me ask you something. For people who don't know Dr. Martin's story, can you give us kind of um, his beginning origins, if you will, how he, how he, uh, you know, got down that path and became the, uh, the, the cult go-to guy, the, the Bible answer man? Oh, sure. Well, you know, he was a rebel from the beginning. He was the last of six children. So he was the baby of the family and he was spoiled rotten. So he was a rebel. My grandfather was a judge in the state of New York, and so he's a pretty tough guy. And But my dad was just everything that the youngest the rebel is. And, uh, you know, he got himself into trouble constantly until finally my grandparents decided to put him into Stony Brook School. He was about 15 when he started going there, okay. and his life just was transformed because of the headmaster there, which is Dr. Gableine, was Dr. Gableine. And wow. um, my, my father's life was transformed. Um, he met Jesus Christ in the little chapel in Stony Brook. And above the chapel door, it says, Thy word is truth. Mm. And in that little chapel, he went down on his knees and realized for the first time who Jesus Christ really was totally transformed his life, and he decided he wanted to, you know, be a teacher, a preacher, um, but nothing at all to do with the cults. They called him Doc um, mm-hmm. all the time he was in high school, and that was a name that stuck with him um, all the way up till the time he died, and he was just always called Doc. It was a nickname for him because he would always try. He'd have this little medicine cabinet at the school, and anytime anyone got sick, 
he because it was a boarding school, he would you know whip out his little box of medicines and try to help his friends. And so that's where he got the nickname Doc. And then he would start talking to people, um, you know, about the Lord. And it was not until he was older he said, well, you know, being a preacher, that's one thing, that's fine. But having to deal with these these cults, that was not something that was a passion of his at all until he was a little bit older. And around 17, 18 years old is when he first started to feel that this this great interest in what these people believed, and of course there was nothing out there, so he ended up having to go do the research himself. And he, you know, I think he was a gifted researcher. That's just my opinion, but I think yeah. he was a gifted researcher in that he went to the heart of the matter. He saved things that today, if he hadn't saved them, we would not have. For example, the Brooklyn Eagle in New York was a small newspaper in New York, and a lot of people would dismiss it as not being important. But it's very important as a source of evidence because it recorded everything that went on in the Watchtower from the earliest days on. Wow. And so it's a great historical resource. He, he saved all that and cited from it in the Kingdom of the Cults in his Jehovah's Witness mm. chapter. So he really provided the church with the evidence they needed right at their fingertips so that people didn't have to go into the libraries and do the research or go into the headquarters and do the research themselves. And it became yeah. a real passion for him. He felt he felt like um, there was no one there reaching them. So really church planting, but in a different way. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I've kind of got, um, in, in my mind now, I have a very loose definition of apostle and i use that word i don't mean like the 12 i don't mean i use it in the pure greek where it means sent out one right kind of like a pioneer missionary mm-hmm. um so so you know obviously there's no one like paul or you know the 12 just so you know you're not talking to a freak here joe um those guys were <laughs> short, well were, she's talking to the freak that's what <laughs> we'll about wanna, that i didn't want to call you that though so here, here's the deal. Basically, you know, what, what we're what we're kind of saying, you know, it, you hear it sometimes like, um, you know, you'll hear people call A.W. Tozer, you know, the prophet of the 21st century because he just was speaking, but no one's getting funky about it. But they're just saying he was a voice for that generation. And same with your dad. Like, if I were to loosely use that term, I would say the apostle to the cults, the sent out one, the, the, the pioneer missionary to them. And that, that was kind of his, you know, when, when you talk about the love that he had for the cultists, it wasn't like he just started off to say, hey, you know what, I'm sick of those cults. And, you know, I think I'm going to start a movement where, you know, we can really whack them on, you know, and, and embarrass them and humiliate. He wanted to reach them. And, I, you know, his whole kind of passion for equipping Christians was so that, you know, he was only one man. He wanted to kind of spread that out and get that in the hands of other people. Um, and, and, and that is, you know, so commendable, number one. I mean, it's kind of like Paul's heart coming out of a, uh, just an ordinary dude. And uh, you said that he loved people, and that very much comes through. But, man, he could argue too, couldn't he? <laughs> yeah, he had a great gift as far as uh, photographic memory, one that I really wish that I had, where he, you know, he could literally take pictures of, uh, things that were written down, and he would remember things, you know, things he saw and read. And God used that. It was a tremendous gift and really came in handy when you were on the air and getting calls from all over the place, you know, for you never knew what your next call. Can you imagine doing that without a computer? 
he really had kind of a, a little mini computer for a brain, and he would just, I watched him a lot of times when he was doing the Bible Answer Man, and, you know, he just had his Bible in front of him. He didn't have, you know, stacks and stacks of books, or he didn't have CRI perspectives, a little notebook that you could flip to yeah. and read your little answer, you know, on the air. He didn't have that. Everything came from, you know, the Holy Spirit and bringing to mind what he had studied, you know, study to show yourself approved. That's what came through on the air, and I, I think that I know I could benefit a lot more from studying, and I think that's something that's kind of fallen by the wayside is this idea that we need to study to show ourselves the proof. We need to learn what the Word of God says and dig deep, you know, put our roots deeply into the Word of God which is yeah. what he did. You know, his Bible, he had several Bibles he used, and you can see they're all underlined. If you were to look at them, they're all underlined and marked and little notes and asterisks and all these things. Um, I mean, they had little pieces of paper stuck in between the pages, you know, um, thoughts that came to his mind. And it really was an amazing thing um, that he rested on the Holy Spirit when he was on the air on the Long John Neville show. It was always the Holy Spirit and the Word of God mm-hmm. that he went to and relied on and that brought him through everything. So there is that supernatural power that, um, you know, our culture wants to take and throw out the window. They want to throw out thousands and thousands of years of human history of believing in the supernatural. They want to throw that out and, and have everyone believe that we live in this sterile world where nothing happens except, and nothing's real except what we can experience with our five senses. And that's not what the Word of God teaches. It's a supernatural book. We believe in a supernatural being, the greatest, the creator. Um, there is none like him. And his power is supernatural. And you just don't see that or hear that really the way it used to be told in years past. You know, it's so funny you say that because this is one of the passions. In in, in the book that uh, came out last year, Church Zero, we do it every time we mention it on the show, too. <laughs> But, you know, I have a chapter in there on the Holy Spirit, and I made a vow that whenever I write a book, the next book coming out is called Jump School. It, too, has a chapter on the power of the Holy Spirit, because exactly what you said, that's one of my my passions, especially, you know, being impacted by these guys. I remember your your father, his uh, favorite book, he said, was The Secret Power of D.L. Moody. And, you know, that's very telling that that would be. And, and, And what Dr. Martin did, I remember... Um, I was from a word-based church, and uh, I remember him mentioning, he said he was a charismatic. And I remember that was the first time I stood up and took notice and thought, hey, there's some respectful charismatics out there. Because if that's what, you know, I know his background was Southern Baptist, but nobody would accuse him of being a freak or a weirdo. But I tell you what, that guy, he talks about healing. He talks because he experienced it. And what's so valuable about him is that he came into it kind of like I did through the back door. He wasn't looking for it, it wasn't, but he was on the front lines, and he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where you find exactly. it. Exactly. In fact, he was against it. He hmm. was as died in the world Baptist as you could possibly be. And he refused to entertain, you know, any of that power, you know, come on, you know, all this stuff. He just didn't believe it. He didn't believe it until he had an encounter at a church uh, one time, and there was a young man there who was 17, and he stayed for prayer afterwards. 
And I think I think I might have mentioned that story to you guys. And he just, you know, my father was like, well, okay, I'll pray for you. Because the boy <laughs> had said, you know, the boy had said, I, I need healing. So the only one there to pray with him was a Catholic nun. <laughs> my father thought, oh, well, you know, I guess we'll just pray together. So they laid hands on him and prayed. And um, at the end of praying, this 17-year-old sitting in a wheelchair said, my dad said, how do you feel? And he said, I feel like I've got legs. And and my dad says, what do you mean? Don't you have any legs? And the boy basically said, well, I have legs, but they're atrophied. I haven't ever walked. And so he says, but I feel like I've got them. And so my dad called two guys over, and they helped this boy stand. And he literally stood and ran up and down the aisles, a boy who had never walked before. And that transformed my father because he saw the supernatural power of God work. And mm. from that from that point on, he could not deny, you know, no. he was an evidentiary scholar. He could not deny the evidence that was put in front of him that God still heals today. And if he still heals today, Peyton, what else is he doing that's supernatural, right? Absolutely. I tell you what, that personal experience like that will change your theology. We're going to go ahead and break right here, and we're going to be back tomorrow with part two of this interview. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. dot com.